Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. I have a very unique message for you today. There are things I just want to speak on that are somewhat near and dear to my heart. I just want to give you some food for thought that can also be something that's of great value to you. Today's title is Reunited We Stand. This topic has really been on my heart. It's on my mind. And I just want to share some observations of where we are in our cultural dialogue today and some proactive steps, I believe, we can all take to have more unity, to say not only that I love my neighbor, but I love all my neighbors. The reason we're talking about reunited we stand is that we're currently not united. There's division everywhere. I think that's pretty obvious. We have big-time political divisions. We have ideological divisions. We have racial divisions. And we have separation between people. I think it's been one of the most unusual times in history. In the past, when people were in times of strife and struggle, they typically bonded together, and there was unity in all our communities. Today, we have to socially distance. We're in our homes, and we are divided from our communities. It's been one of the strangest times I've certainly experienced in my life, uh, and I know that's the case for many. I've always said that people don't do their best when they're on their own. Human beings do better when connected to other human beings. You know, the cruelest punishment outside of the death penalty you can face in incarceration in America is solitary confinement. The harshest punishment they can come up with is to actually have a person be totally by themselves, ultimately totally isolated. And right now, being a good citizen means you stay isolated, you stay at home, you practice social distancing. All of these things in our current environment have led to even more division. You know, division goes back to the old Greek term of die and vision. Die, which means two, and vision, which is the faculty or state of being able to see. We have two visions. In, in this case, we have many, many visions of who we should be, of what we should be, and even how we should be. The difference being is that in our world today, we have a scenario where creative thought or discussion and debate are not even encouraged. True and meaningful conversation, where respect is afforded to all, is actually critical to overcoming the division we're experiencing. Right now, there's a tendency to think the other side lives in some kind of alternate universe, far removed from us. We believe we have absolutely nothing in common with them, and we certainly don't want to engage, communicate, or even give their opinions any kind of oxygen. They're a threat. And so the hostility grows day by day, and it's actively stoked in our culture. For example, m many of our news channels are all about sensationalism. Often the more over-the-top the headline, the more outrageous the statement, the more viewers they get, the more tweetable their comments become, the more social media hits they enjoy. It, it seems like 24 hours a day, there's a feeding frenzy on TV and online, with people making the most deliberately divisive and outrageous comments 
just to inflame reaction. It's all about these sensationalistic headlines to catch people's attention. The term for it is actually called clickbait. And often there's just no context. There's no interest in trying to understand or relate to another person. Online can be particularly negative. For example, on Twitter, you're limited to 140 characters. Now, Twitter can be a powerful platform, but there's very few complex issues can ever be addressed in 140 characters. In fact, there's very few simple issues could even be addressed in 140 characters. And it can quickly spiral into a dark place, a place of hatred and hostility. In many cases, a person's heart is judged, whether it's about matters of race, positions on life, or any subject at all. Names and labels get attributed to people. And this happens to people on every side of all discussions. We tend to judge ourselves by our intentions and judge others by their actions. Well, today it's gone further. We judge others by the inference of their actions. Now the inference of what you do or what you don't do can be judged. What you don't post can now be judged as defining who you are. Look, united we stand. Divided, we fall. A house divided cannot stand. That's what the good book has said for thousands of years. And when I think of America, I always think of the American eagle. Now imagine that eagle only had one wing. It would fly around in circles, and it would certainly not be able to soar. It would be a protracted spiral as that eagle plummets to the ground. Today in our divided culture, people want to have their opinions and their philosophies and their ideas implemented exclusively. That's like a one-winged eagle. That's the pride and prejudice of its the my way or the highway thinking. Folks, we've seen this throughout history. We don't have to, you know, pretend. We don't have to, you know, just, oh, imagine what could happen. We've seen it. In Russia, for example, when the Communist Party eliminated any form of dissent, diversity of thought, diversity of religion, freedom of expression. That ultimately led to killing 40 million of its own people. And within 80 years, that society collapsed in on itself. I think we all know the ultimate cautionary tale when the Nazis took over Germany. They burned books, eliminated free speech, the famous propaganda machine established by Goebbels, which stated that lies repeated often enough will become truth. And we all know what happened with Nazi Germany. And then on the opposite side of the political spectrum, in South Africa, we had the Afrikaners that brought the era of apartheid. And we all know what happened there and how cruel and oppressive an environment that was. These are just three examples of a one-winged approach. I could give you dozens and dozens and dozens of these. And when you think of that eagle, which way is he flying? He's just flying in circles. Is he flying towards the sun to renew his strength like an eagle? I don't think so. He's flying downward to plummet to the ground. You know, Burger King used to say, you can have it your way, baby. Well, let me say this to you. If all of us just get it our way, we are an eagle plummeting to the ground. Believe it or not, we need both wings. We need to flap. We need to fly. And we need need the discourse and the difficulty and the differences. That's where the magic is. You have to celebrate those things. And we're going to get into some good stuff today. One of the aspects of this eagle flying to the ground, and again, I'm going to talk about something that is a hot topic, this cancel culture. 
So I just want to define it for you. You know, cancel culture, according to Webster, is the practice of withdrawing support from or canceling public figures, companies, or people that have said or done something considered offensive. Cancel culture is generally discussed as being performed on social media in the form of group shaming. The concept is that if you do something that's considered wrong, you suffer a public shaming and backlash. Some people believe that cancel culture is a tool of social justice to hold people in power accountable. Others believe it's nothing more than a mob mentality. I believe that becoming even more entrenched and separated from your neighbors instead of trying to engage with and understand them is not going to heal what divides us. Instead of a cancel culture, we need a kindness culture. Instead of engaging in conflict, we have to engage in discourse. The great Winston Churchill said, Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. Look, I have personal experience of this. I grew up in a country where there were two factions of Christianity who fought, bombed, and murdered each other for generations. I saw the hate build and the division take root in my own homeland. These people all lived on the same island, smaller than a lot of counties in America. Ireland is 300 miles long and 150 miles wide. My sister lives in the north. My family grew up in the south. All I could see was what divided them, and so the hate grew. The only way the healing could start was when, through mediation, the two sides were able to sit down and really begin listening to each other. The fear, distrust, and hatred started to abate, and the peace process began in earnest. Now, it hasn't been perfect in Ireland. The wounds are still deep but the commitment to continue the work is steadfast. Division lives in the heart of mankind. That's why to give in to division, to give in to separation, is to give in to the worst of our own natures. I don't want to live with the regret of being someone who didn't speak up for the goodness of what's here in America and what America means to me and what I've experienced and seen in America. As Thomas Jefferson said, All tyranny needs to gain a foothold is for people of good conscience to remain silent. The thing about this country that makes it great is its commitment to freedom. Freedom of expression. Freedom of religion. Freedom. Now, I'll talk to that here in a second. We just have to stand up and say something because of our very freedoms are actually at stake. As Americans, as people, as lovers of freedom, the truth of the matter is all tyranny needs to gain a foothold is for people of good conscience to remain silent. Now look, I'm a real estate trainer who developed a methodology not only for real estate, but for personal growth and development. And I'm going to continue to bring those messages. You know, I have a a love of people and I, I love to bring hope and encouragement to people and help people with personal growth and development to be the best they can be. That's who I am. And in the context of where this is going, that's where I want to take it. So like I always have, I have three major points for you today, just like I always do. I know many of you, you're just trying to get away from all the nonsense. You Maybe you're listening to this show and you go, oh my gosh, Buffini's doing the same thing everybody else is. But it's not. I have, I have some mindsets, motivations, and methodologies of how to be successful in uniting. Maybe uniting your, yourself, your family, your loved ones, your community, and, and building connection together. So here's our three points. How do we unite And how do we stand together? Number one is going to be respect. Number two is grace. 
And then number three is to not conform. We're going to talk about respect. We're going to talk about grace and to not conform. So let's talk about it. Respect, again, according to Mr. Webster, is the due regard for the feelings, wishes, or traditions of others. We need to have due regard for the feelings and wishes or traditions of others. So here's what respect looks like to me. Respect different points of view. Respect different perspectives and experiences. Respect diversity of thought. Respect is the key. You know, we had Miles McPherson on our show here, and uh, he, he shared the philosophy of his book called The Third Option, Hope for a Racially Divided Nation. Ultimately, he believes we have to lose the us versus them mentality and ultimately embrace the concept of mutual respect. And look, folks, this is how all relationships are built, on mutual respect. You know, nothing great has ever happened from hate. Think about all the leaders of all the great movements. Martin Luther King Jr., he, he was committed to nonviolence. He stressed the need to judge the person by the content of their character. Even though he died for his beliefs, his legacy and impact made massive change. Gandhi, a tiny little man, used nonviolence and persuasion to overthrow the might of the British Empire in his home country of India. On a less grand scale, when I think of respect, I think of the quote from Dead Poets Society, when the great Robin Williams shocked his class by standing up on a desk as he taught and said, I stand upon my desk to remind myself what we must constantly look at, that we must look at things in a different way. The great Dale Carnegie, who wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People, he said, try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. This is the man who helped people make friends and influence people. Isn't that what we need today? And again, this is not just one big kumbaya. These are hard things. These are difficult things. I, I have values and principles that I adhere to. I have a faith that's very important to me. I have a, an economic philosophy and a a pro-market, pro-growth philosophy. And what I'm challenging myself is I'm challenging you to sit down with people of very contrasting, very different opinions. And let's see if we can't flap our wings a little bit. And yeah, there might be a few feathers that get lost, but we'll end up learning how to fly together. Henry Ford said it this way. He goes, if there's any one secret of success, it lies in the ability to get the other person's point of view and see things from that angle as well as from your own. Author Harper Lee said, you never really understand a person until you consider things from their point of view. What that is, is actually describing empathy. We have to have empathy. And if you have empathy, you can have compassion. And if you have compassion, you can have respect. And that's what we're talking about. Having a healthy discussion makes us better, makes us bigger. But it seems that today, people have descended to reiterating the talking points that are rotisserized over and over again by news channels that only spout the point of view that already align with their views. Studies have actually shown that people choose news channels that fits their views. Instead of exploring a wider range of perspective, they consume and flock to what they already agree with. We have to respect different perspectives and experiences. When you celebrate the differences in people, it's what makes life more expansive and more enjoyable. A great example of this is very close to home for me. My wife 
is a beautiful African-American lady that I've been married to for 30 years. She's from Sumter, South Carolina. And I'm a white boy from the south side of Dublin. You couldn't find more different backgrounds. I was raised by a self-employed house painter. She was raised in a military family and lived on Air Force bases during her childhood. I'm Irish. She's American. She's black. I'm white. She's from the south. I'm from the south side of Dublin. Couldn't be more different. And folks, got to tell you, that's where the magic is. The magic is in the differences. The magic comes from respect. You got to respect different points of view. You have to respect different perspectives and experiences. It's powerful. Oprah said, the smallest change in perspective can change life. Marcus Aurelius, the most famous of all the Caesars, said, everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. Everything we see is a perspective, not the truth. Henry David Thoreau said, it's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. Folks, people have been talking about this for thousands of years. Lastly, we have to respect diversity of thought. You know, when people hear the word diversity today, they only think in terms of racial diversity and whether people are on the left of this or the right of this or whatever version of sides they're on of this. Now, folks, I know a little bit about this. I have six mixed race kids and so on and so forth. But isn't there another thing called diversity of thought? The last part of respect is ultimately to respect diversity of thought. Maya Angelou said, in diversity, there is beauty and there is strength, just like the strength of an eagle. Why? Because there's diversity. There's a left wing, there's a right wing, there's a chest, there's a heart. It beats together. Aristotle said, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. We can do more together than separately. From right here in San Diego, Ken Blanchard said, none of us is as smart as all of us. Malcolm Forbes said, diversity is the art of thinking independently together. We are people. We are human beings. We have a soul. We have to respect. There has to be respect. Now, the first thing to do if you're going to lead and be a leader is to make sure that tyranny doesn't take a foothold the way Thomas Jefferson talked about it. You don't want tyranny to gain a foothold. If you're a person of good conscience, it's not about who can shout the loudest. It's about respecting. And you've got to give respect first before you receive it. That's the hard one. You've got to give respect first before you receive it. That's what we have to do. So we have to respect different points of view, respect different perspectives and experiences, and give respect before we receive it. The second major point creates the opportunity for all of us to unite, and it's the topic of grace. One of the things that's happening is we're becoming a less gracious society. Obviously, I've talked about we're less respectful, but we're also becoming less gracious. And as we become less gracious, let me share with you, we enter into some really tricky territory. Now, let me go first. The guy you tune in to hear on a regular basis, the guy that many of you take advice from, whether it be financial or real estate, or you've listened to personal growth and development contact I've shared, is a flawed man. Now, my wife just said, listening, amen. I'm a, I'm a flawed character with all kinds of foibles, all kinds of stuff I'm working on all the time, and I will be until they put me in the pine box. Now, of all the challenges I faced comes a sense of empathy for others, and out of empathy comes that compassion. Out of that compassion comes respect, and out of that respect comes grace. Right now, 
we are becoming a less gracious society. The definition of being gracious is marked by kindness and courtesy. Kindness and courtesy. Is there much kindness and courtesy in our world today? Well, again, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge myself. We get to go first. So here's a few things I want to share with you on grace. First, we got to look at the face in the mirror. The second thing is, he without sin cast the first stone. And third, grace is unmerited favor. And that's what we want to talk about. So let's talk about looking at the face in the mirror. It's very easy to point a finger at other people and judge them for their words and actions. But to have more grace, we must be willing to look at ourselves first and examine our own behaviors. As the Scottish theologian William Barclay said, if we find ourselves becoming critical of other people, we should stop examining them and start examining ourselves. A couple thousand years ago, Christ had an opportunity to ask people to take a look in the mirror. He said, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you fail to see the log in your own eye? When you do that, you're a hypocrite. Christ said, take the log out of your own eye, then you'll clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Here's the deal. Christ was letting us know we all have flaws. And if we're going to unite and reunite, we have to recognize that none of us are perfect. And all of us say and do things that we regret. If we're going to have any chance to respect and have grace for one another, we have to first understand that we're all coming to the table as imperfect people. My dad used to have this funny little phrase. He'd say, don't tell me your problems. I have painters of me own. <laughs> you know what he meant by that. In life, it's true. We've got to look at ourselves first. We have to look at the person in the mirror. All right, here's the next piece. Let he without sin cast the first stone. You know, in the absence of grace, what we have is hyper judgment. Brutal. Just, just the words coming out of my own mouth. Hyper judgment. And today we live in an environment of hyper judgment and this cancel culture. Social media has allowed people to make nasty comments anonymously. And now that negativity is leaking out into our everyday culture. So what's happened is the rhetoric on social media would get more and more nasty and more and more lowest common denominator, if you will. If you've ever seen threads, oh my gosh, where people can go and what it can be. And it just becomes this lowest common denominator in our society and, and the lowest common denominator in each of our own individual characters to just sound off. You know, if somebody's nasty to you, the easiest thing is to be nasty to them. You, you ever cut someone off accidentally on the freeway and they get mad and flip you the bird and next thing you know, you're mad at them. Well, now we got this culturally going on, not just once every six months that might happen on a freeway. That can happen six times a day. It's not respectful. It's not gracious. And that's where we have to make the changes. It doesn't build up. It's, it's been going on for too long. And I tell you another little Jesus story, okay? It talks about that he's hanging out with his lads. And they're sitting down, having a meeting of some sort. And the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. Now, these guys at that time were the cancer culture of their day. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees came and they brought a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before a group and said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? So what were they doing? They were trying to use this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. We're accusing her to accuse you. We want to cancel her, but we really want to cancel her to cancel you. 
That's what this is all about. Sound familiar? Sound like our world today? I love this passage. He said, Jesus kneeled down and he bent over and he wrote something with his finger in the ground. Some scholars say he was writing out the Ten Commandments. So he stooped down, wrote on the ground, and then stood up and said, okay, let any one of you without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and continued writing on the ground. Now at this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time. I love this part in this passage. It says, the older ones first. Why was that? Because they had a big old list of past mistakes. They had a big old list of sins and things they'd done wrong in their life. And that's because they'd lived a long life and they'd made a lot of mistakes and they knew in their heart they couldn't throw a stone. So the old birds went first. So after the old ones, then the young ones left until only Jesus was left talking with the woman. She's still standing there. He stood up and asked her, he said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and live your life. Sin no more. Oh, man. I just, I, I'll be honest with you. And again, I, if you've been listening to me, I've done hundreds of episodes on this podcast. I'm certainly never trying to proselytize or become a preacher. I know who I am. I know what I am. But that's just the greatest stuff I've ever heard. This stuff's been around a long time. You know why? Human nature hasn't changed very much in the last couple thousand years. And the bottom line is, we must be respectful. And we have to be gracious. We've got to look at that person in the mirror first. And we've got to remember, let he without sin cast the first stone. The last piece of grace is this unmerited favor. To give grace to people means to give them kindness, love, and mercy. You know, justice is when you get what you deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. We can show grace with our words. We can respond to criticism with grace. We don't have to win every argument. We don't have to be part of every argument. We can also forgive with grace. Grace is an unmerited favor, and we all need to receive it for our own lives, and we all need to give it. You know, one man who fought for freedom was Abraham Lincoln. After going through a brutal war where 650,000 American lives were lost, he made a gracious speech to encourage people to unite and extend grace to one another. Yeah, much more difficult times than today and much more even divided times than today. Here's what Lincoln said. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and heartstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the Union when again touched as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. Isn't that what we all need? That the best of us comes out at a time like this and not the worst of us. Being gracious to others doesn't just change you. It can change the world. Grace is transformative. As writer Anne Lamott said, I do not understand the mystery of grace. Only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. Powerful stuff. We got to look at the face in the mirror. Remember, he without sin cast the first stone. And grace is an unmerited favor. And we've got to give it first before we receive it. The third major point is not to conform. So I'm going to look at this. I'm going to talk about what conformity is. I'm going to share with you the challenge to not conform. 
and then encourage you to be brave. Conformity by its definition is a type of social influence involving a change in belief or behavior in order to fit in with the group. This changes in response to the pressure of social expectations or group pressure. Boy, does that explain our world today. It's just very easy to follow the crowd. But as Mark Twain said, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. Eleanor Roosevelt, a wise woman, said, Remember always that you not only have the right to be an individual, you have an obligation to be one. John F. Kennedy said, Conformity is the jailer of freedom and the enemy of growth. Emerson said, To be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. Oscar Wilde, that famous Irishman, said, Conformity is the last refuge of the unimaginative. That's what conformity is all about. It's very important for us not to conform. So do not conform. That's the command. The Apostle Paul writes, do not conform to this world, but be transformed. That's why I'm bringing this up. There's a how-to. Be transformed, not conform. Be transformed, and then he tells you the how-to. By the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know when you hit refresh on the screen? This is like hitting refresh on your brain. Not conforming, but actually renewing your mind. Knowing that there's more to learn. There's more to grow. More exposure to get. More people to talk to. More diversity of opinion and thought and perspective and experience. The key is to be a student. And then become a thinker. Not just a talker. Become a listener. If you want to be heard, you must first listen. I'm here today as a person who loves this country that I live in who found freedom here, who found the freedom to be himself, the freedom to marry the woman I loved. When I got married 30 years ago, interracial relationships were 2% of marriages in America. And of those 2% of that 2% was when the man was white. I fell madly in love with a woman. I fell in love with her spirit. I fell in love with who she was as a person. And she was gorgeous. That's who I fell in love with. And I had the freedom to marry who I loved. I had the freedom to worship the God that I chose to worship. I had the freedom to do the work that I felt called to. The freedom to serve in the way I felt called to. I discovered the freedom to grow. And I discovered this whole realm of personal growth and development that was 100 years old in America, but very new in the rest of the world. I found the freedom to become successful. The freedom to build a business to help other people become successful. I mean, our mission at Buffini Company is to impact and improve the lives of people. I mean, where in the world would you get a chance to build a company that does something like that? That's our mission. That's what we made our business out of. It's unbelievable. That's the freedoms that I've had a chance to enjoy in this great country. The freedom for my children and for my grandchildren. And I'm very thankful. I still believe America's best days are yet to come. I still believe right now, like an eagle, we're just shaking loose a bunch of feathers. And there's a lot of flapping of the wings that are going on. But I truly believe sometimes a lie will get halfway around the world before the truth gets its sandals on. I do believe our best days are yet to come. There are some feathers that are flying. There's some feathers that need to go. There's some renewing in my mind that needs to take place. There's some renewing in our culture that needs to take place. But ultimately, we have this great, great opportunity. I've had a chance to be able to take care of my family back in Ireland and my bride's family back in Georgia. 
So what I'm talking about is respect and grace and not conforming are ultimately the foundations for what all these freedoms rest on. The freedom to be ourselves, the freedom of our society, the freedom to love and be loved. That's what we all need. The last piece here and the encouragement I have for all of us is to be brave. It's time to be brave. Speak wisdom. Seek first to understand, then be understood, Mr. Covey said. We have to be respectful. We have to be gracious. We have to renew our minds. But most of all, we've got to be resolute in our love with God, country, and our fellow man. And I know we can do this, and I know we will do this. Now, I mentioned to you, I'm not speaking on these topics every single week. This is a place that many of you come to get away from the negativity of our culture, and me too. But I wanted to speak to you today on this topic, and I wanted to share this as also a launching pad for something pretty wonderful. A number of years ago, I recorded a CD series. Do you remember those? With a man by the name of Joe Ehrman. Now, Joe Ehrman is a former all-pro football player. He was a defensive lineman. And I saw a program on HBO that featured him and the kids he was coaching in high school. And these kids were on this HBO Real Sports, it's called, and they'd won five state championships and they had all this success. But what was unusual about this is the way they went about their business. And so HBO was there and they they sent the team to this school. And again, we know football and especially football 15, 20 years ago, it was a macho culture. It was, you know, water weakens legs and, you know, suck it up, Johnny. And, you know, all of that stuff. And Joe Ehrman was there and he had not this transactional approach to coaching where they're beating up the kids and creating this environment. He, he was a transformational coach that actually spent his time building up these young men. And then out of building up these young men, they got to play football together. And so it caught my eye. I'm just kind of going through the channels. It's kind of an interesting little story. And then all of a sudden, Joe Ehrman's standing in front of his team, and he, he shouts out to the team, what's our job as coaches? And the kids all shout back in unison, to love us. And he goes, what's your job as players? And the kids shout back in unison, to love each other. Well, I was struck by this. They had this philosophy. He's trying to build up these young men. Here's a core, uh, this love us, love each other. I was on a plane a week later, and I flew out to meet Joe Ehrman and built a friendship and a relationship that's lasted a long time. And there really was something special there. I got to see why they got to be successful. They won the championships. They had all the accolades, but they did it the right way. Over the years, Joe and I became great friends. I had a chance to help him get his speaking and training career going and just helped him out along the way. And we actually did this CD series, and it was called How to Love and Be Loved. And we've never actually ever released this series. I made it available at one event one time, and for whatever reason, it got put on the shelf. And I started listening to this recently, and I thought, oh my gosh, would this be so great for a time like this? And so what we're going to do is release these episodes one week at a time every Thursday. And we're going to have, for six weeks, kind of a bonus episode on the Brian Buffini Show. And we're going to release the How to Love and Be Loved series, which is the perfect application for the kind of content I'm talking about here today. Now, it's not a societal thing as much as it is how to love and be loved. It starts internally. It starts with our relationships. It starts in the most personal place possible. But ultimately, when you love and be loved, you become more loving. And isn't that what we all need in our culture today? And so it really is. 
The first episode is on how to understand yourself. Pretty important that you understand yourself before you're trying to understand anyone else. The second was to cover the three wounds of love. Very powerful. The third is developing empathy for self and others. Remember I talked about it today? Empathy leads to compassion. Compassion leads to respect. Respect leads to grace. Number four is the process of healing and the purpose of healing. Number five is how do we experience full relationships? And number six, how to find your transcendent cause. It's marvelous stuff. I think you're going to love it. And that's why, to me, it's the perfect time for this little hidden CD series to make a reappearance on The Brian Buffini Show. So we're going to make it available to you every Thursday. I hope for the next six weeks you can tune in to Joe Ehrman on our podcast and listen to How to Love and Be Loved. It can heal your own heart. You'll actually hear a story come up in the middle of it that I wasn't even aware of. I hadn't even thought about it in maybe 30 years. And I actually received a little healing in an area of my life during the interview process with Joe Ehrman. So I know how valuable it is. And I think it can really help us in this area we've been talking about today. I think when we learn how to love and be loved, we can be more respectful. We can be more gracious and we won't conform. Well, hopefully you got something out of this program today. Hopefully you got something that you needed or maybe just something to help you think a little differently or take the edge off or be a little more respectful or gracious or even be a little bit more yourself, okay? Hopefully this episode will challenge your way of thinking. Either way, this is the message I felt compelled to bring you today. I hope it's a blessing to you. My mother used to say, Brian, you know, what we're facing right now is a nine-day wonder and this too shall pass. And I hope that's the case for where we are in our culture today. As I finish up here today, I want to share with you one of the things that really inspired me to tip me over, to talk about these thoughts that I've had for some time. My assistant, Jeanette, is just uh, a really cool person, very, very hardworking assistant. And she's been applying some of the content we've been teaching in our Five Circle Fit program we've been running for so many people out there in the marketplace. And it gives you different things to do each week. And one of the activities was to research your own family's history. So she was researching her own family's history. And, you know, she went into ellisisland.com. And sure enough, she found that her family's name was changed. And it's very hard to find out now. But she got curious. And because she's all about other people, she put my name in there. And sure enough, she found this. She found an image of my grandfather when he came to America originally. And on this ellisisland.com, it showed the ship called the Celtic that he came over, built in 1902. It was the biggest ship in the world at the time, built in Harland and Wolf in Northern Ireland, and he left for Liverpool. And then on to say here he was 24 years of age and he was two and a half months at sea and he arrived. And when he arrived in New York, they changed his nationality from Irish to Italian. Must have been good for the politics at the time, I'm sure. And it just gave me chills to see the man that came here. Now, again, my, my grandfather was here. My grandmother, Mary, she came over a year later. They got married. They had four kids in America and then they went back to Ireland. But because he came to America... I had a chance to get a green card. Because he came to America, it gave me a chance to come here and build a new life for myself. And it just really got me thinking about what this country means to me. It's long history of accepting people like Harry Buffini, who was a house painter that came to America knowing basically nobody. I got a chance to build a life for himself and build a family and, and start over. It gives me chills when I think about it. I have this picture in my office now. I have the ship, the Celtic, and I have a image of my grandfather and what his journey was like 
And I just started thinking about it, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I came to America in 1986, and I got run over by a car and had this motorcycle accident. And I look back at my journey, and I look back at the people, and, and I got into real estate. And even though I was a young guy, people gave me a chance. People trusted me to sell their home. People referred me to their friends and family. I, I, unbelievable. It allowed me to build a business. Allowed me to meet the woman of my dreams. Allowed me to have six fabulous kids. Allowed me to build a business that eventually... People wanted to know how did I become successful and it allowed me to then travel all over the country and then eventually all over the world and built this company that's helped millions of people now all over the world. And I just think about that. And I think about that American Eagle. I think about the Eagle that my grandfather came to in 1926. And I think about myself and I think about the great opportunity. I'm very, very thankful for this place. I'm very, very thankful to its people. And I'm very thankful for the opportunities I got here. People gave me respect and people were gracious with me, even when they didn't understand what I was saying. And they didn't ask me to conform and become some version of themselves. They liked the fact that I was different and talked different and acted different. And I got a chance to build a great life for myself. That's ultimately why I wanted to deliver this message today. So hopefully it's been a blessing to you. Now, someone who's been an example of respect and grace and not conforming, it's been my mother. And I bring her to you every week, as she says, her little Irish blessing. And even though it's recorded, she listens in. I don't know if she listens to the podcast every week. I know she listens to the end of it so she can hear herself. She's 89 years of age. She's a little pistol. She's a ball of energy. She's full of vim and vigor. She's still championing me to be better and do better. I want to leave you today with her little version of the Irish blessing. And in this blessing, you'll hear respect and grace and nonconformity. Until next time, God bless. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. 